Welcome to the Poetry Drip. I am Paula Corteanu, and this is your new episode of Poems to Ignite Your Soul. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Poetry Drip. I'm so excited to introduce to you Jason Mark Campbell, an author, public speaker, and sales and marketing consultant. Jason is the author of Selling with Love, Earn with Integrity, and Expand Your Impact. He is on a mission to inspire small business owners with self-reluctance to embrace it as a beautiful activity that transforms lives. He also interviews thoughts leaders from around the world on topics of leadership, team building, communication, productivity, and so much more. Jason is also a public speaker. He shared the stage with the likes of Gary Vee, Jason Silva, Vishen Lakiani, and Lisa Nichols, and more. During his seven years at Mind Valley, Jason's been responsible for million dollar product launches, handling the PR for a New York Times bestselling book, and launching the very first membership platform at Mind Valley. Most importantly, I think is Jason's mission, and it's all about teaching companies to care more. I think that's a beautiful sentiment and bringing the love into what you do. And Jason says that as businesses have so much power in the capitalist world, if we can educate businesses to take on more responsibility on how they sell, how they market, and how they treat their employees, and even how they invest their money, we start shifting the very planet into a better place for all, which is very poetic and deep. Well, Jason, welcome to the Poetry Drip. Thank you, Paula, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. No, it's a pleasure to have you. And um, I was so happy to see your little text. We share the podcasters group on the on the um, My Valley community and. As a synchronicity, I don't check in all the time, but I open and you popped in right then, letting us know that your book is out. And I thought, oh, I can't wait to talk to you about that. You take, you invest so much of your time bringing the best speakers to us and the best books out there. So now this is your turn. And I wanted to make sure we get to talk. But Jason, I'm impressed from your, your book and from the way you, you talk about selling in general, how much you love selling. And I was really curious to, to find out what's the first thing you've ever sold? First thing I ever sold. Yeah. You know, it's not something I could consciously remember, but I'm going to tell you one of the more significant sales that I've made at a young age that I think mm. really brought into perspective the whole selling with love concept. But even before I give you that example, which is a really juicy one, is I actually am of the thought that we are selling all the time in every conversation, in every communication we have. So as far as talking about the first sale I have, well, it would have more than likely been freshly out of the womb. I would have started crying because I wanted milk from my mother. And so my sales pitch was doing a cry, which immediately made the person understand that I had needs. And then they were able to give me what I wanted. I, I look at sales as an energy exchange between conscious beings. And so this energy can be products or service traded for money, but oftentimes it could be ideas or time that can be 
exchanged and there's always an ask and there's always a acceptance of the acts or a refusal of the ask. And so when I open it up to that definition, my first sale came at a very young age, which I wouldn't have remembered. But as a more fun story, I love sharing one of the more significant sales I had as a teenager. Mm-hmm. And this was back in high school. They were asking us to do a charity run of selling these chocolate covered almonds. And what's funny is because it was called world's finest chocolate, which I think was actually deceptive marketing. If you ask me, they were pretty good chocolate, but as far as the world's finest, I think that was a bit stretch yet. Um, for every $2, I could sell, you know, a, a box of these chocolate covered almonds. And so I started going door to door and it was very fascinating to me that I would knock at a neighbor's door. I would say, Hey, would you like, you know, a bit of chocolate? I would offer them the chocolate. They would be ecstatic. They would give me what we call in Canada, a toonie, which is a $2 coin. And I was happy. I was able to raise some fun for the charity. They were happy. They had some chocolate and we weren't so self-conscious back there. So everybody loved chocolate. And consistently at every door that I went to knock at, people were interested, excited. They loved to support a good cause. They wanted to get some chocolate. It was a really good deal. And I felt really good. I think it was by the sixth door that I went to knock at. (laughs) I, I knock, I offer the lady some chocolate and she says, well, give me a moment. I'm going to ask my daughter if she would like some. And she called down her daughter. And from the town that I'm from, I was going to French school and the daughter, which I'd never met was going to the English school, but was my age. I've never met her. She was this beautiful woman. And we ended up exchanging numbers. She ended up being one of my first girlfriends. So yeah, selling with love started very powerfully, both with a great impression of sales in a very early stage of love. So uh, who would have known the book came out out of a result of that. Wow, what a beautiful association straight from the beginning, let's say from your selling career, you've already met um, sales and love or you, 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 you had that interaction. So no wonder, no wonder. Was there a point in time, uh, you, you told us about your teenage um, kind of experience with selling, was there a point in time when you decided Selling means a lot to me. This is what I want to do. And this is what I'm going to focus or devote my time to. Was there such a turning point or was it more of a natural progression? How did it happen for you? Well, there was a time that's actually not that long ago that Mm. I decided to really put my flag down around selling with love. Um, One thing I don't share very often is the book almost wasn't called Selling with Love. It was actually going to be called Impact and Integrity. And I started thinking, I was like, do I want to put selling on the cover? Um, Am I really in love with selling? Because I've done a lot of different roles. I've done event management. I've done marketing, a lot of digital marketing. I've done real estate. Sales was an activity that was always done, whether it was primary or secondary, mostly secondary. I haven't found myself that long in a primary sales role for an extended period of time. You know, I've had a chance to be an inside sales agent in real estate, but then I ended up starting my own real estate company. But then in my own company, you had to sell. Or I found myself running the entrepreneurship division at a company called Mind Valley, which was all about personal growth education. And I had to design online sales events. I had to run webinars and host these sales events as well. So I always had sales happening. I was as enthusiastic about it, but was it my primary thing? Mm. I wasn't sure. 
I remember I was always just working towards what is it going to be the personal brand that I want to be able to carry forward that's going to make an impact. And it was, you know, I was writing the book, the working title or the, the placeholder title was Selling with Love, but I was thinking of changing it. And I sat down and I was like, you know what? No, this is it. This is what's always been with me. This is what's always been my ally. This is what's always been the message that I've wanted to bring forward. And I wanted it to be bold and I wanted to get people raising eyebrows thinking, selling with love? What's that all about? <laughs> and so I'd say it's probably in the last six to nine months that I really said, I'm the selling with love guy. But as far as having sales as a hobby or a profession is just something that even if I wouldn't talk about it, people would come to me and said, you have a certain glow when you get into sales mode. And it's because I embody the mindset that I talk about in the book, which is when you know what you offer is so much more than what you ask in return, there's no holding back feeling joy, love, abundance, enthusiasm. These are all great attitudes to have within the sales process. And sometimes they like that you just have to be more enthusiastic when you can, you talk with people and it's like, well, what if you truly loved what you were selling? Wow. Enthusiasm isn't the goal. It's the byproduct of choosing an energy and a frequency when you sell that really makes you move mountains. Wow, beautifully said, uh, Jason. It really stuck with me. You said it at the beginning that selling is an exchange between two conscious individuals or conscious people. And as long as indeed you have that clarity and it goes back into also something I believe in very deeply of who you really are. If it's anchored in who you really are, then selling is not almost not selling anymore in the sense of how people perceive selling. And I love that your alternative title was about integrity because I don't know if, if it's true or if my perception is kind of accurate, but when people hear about a salesperson or a person who sells cars or estate, they think about lack of integrity. You can't trust this person, right? They're trying to deceive me, right? So I believe that that's probably the biggest thing going against selling. I don't know if, if that's the case. Yeah, I think there's, uh, there's enough examples within our daily lives if we interact with what I would consider not necessarily a good role model for sales, but a frequent encounter in sales, mm. which is maybe an under-trained, under-qualified, under-paid, under-motivated salesperson. I mean, it's, it's very rare that somebody chooses the career to go in sales, and oftentimes they end up with mm -hmm. a career in sales. And as such, you might not have the enthusiasm or perspective to realize that this role actually has a lot of potential, allows you to move up within an organization faster than many other positions. I mean, you look at every Fortune 500 company, a majority of the CEOs come from sales. So when you're talking about looking at a salesperson and comparing it to, say, a real estate agent or a car salesperson, this might not be the best example uh, as the pinnacle of the best salesperson in the world. And so mm -hmm. to make that kind of judgment and association with sales around those examples that you more than likely view negatively would actually hold you back from all the sales that you will need to do in your life, such as an example you want to get a job, an interview is nothing more than a sales process. You want to be able to promote your art, you're going to need to create the art and sell your art. You want to be able to get in a relationship, you're going to need to actually have a sales process to make that happen as well. And one that's often forgotten is if you want to stay in a relationship, 
the sale must go on. Continue so, selling. <laughs> absolutely. And so I think when you talk about integrity, yeah. it's an art that is present within the best salespeople in the world. They would all agree and you could study them and say, wow, these people behave with integrity. But whether it's in our personal experiences with a mediocre to terrible sales person that has given us the idea that a salesperson is someone without integrity is wrong. And if it's not that, the media certainly portrays and glorifies these sales interactions that might not be coming from the best of energies. You know, it's not, don't need to dig too far for a movie like The Wolf of Wall Street, where you mm -hmm. get very excited watching Leonardo DiCaprio exactly. going out and making epic speeches. But at the <laughs> end of the day, he's scamming people. And so who wants to be like that? Absolutely. I don't know. Unfortunately, um, these role models do exist. And I do feel that media has a, such a huge impact in portraying these characters and we all consumers of media. And it's probably indeed one of the biggest drawbacks in people. And now I'm talking about myself directly, for example, promoting my art. And we were talking a little bit before we started the episode. I would love for us to talk about selling art and selling poetry, particularly as the listeners might find that interesting. We have many poets who listen to the podcast and poetry writers, but writers in general, not just poetry, right? The writing is such a creative process. You go somewhere deep, you find out what you're all about and you put it on paper. It's also very vulnerable processes. I'm sure you've experienced as well writing your book. And I love the, the five loves you've listed. Love your impact, your client, your product, your process. And the last one, very powerful, love yourself. That is a big one and a bold one. Maybe tell us a little bit about loving yourself in the process of selling. How does that work? When you're in the process of selling, um, you're basically playing a losing game, at least from a percentage standpoint, <laughs> you're going to have more interactions that end in a loss than any other career. I, I don't know if I can make that as a blanket statement, but let's assume it's true for now. Mm. Think about it. Imagine if you were an accountant and out of every report you prepare, you know, five times out of uh, or four times out of five, you would be wrong or your work would be zero. Could you imagine what that would do to your self-esteem? And so mm -hmm. sales is a game that you play where you know that maybe 80% of the time you will lose and the results of your effort will be zero. So when I think about self-love, it usually talks about, you know, growth comes from our failures. Well, if you want hyper growth, try sales where you're actually going to be in a more failing environment than succeeding environment. <laughs> but, you know, it's a very interesting thing because You'll often see people saying like, you got to work the numbers. You got to build that resilience. I, I remember the first time I was in a sales position, like a real hardcore sales position was actually being a telephone salesperson. And I'd have to make a hundred calls a day. 80 of them wouldn't answer. Maybe 10 of them would go to voicemail. And out of the 10 that I would speak at, I'd maybe have five that would ask for a follow-up, three that would outside, outright say no, and two would book an appointment. That's two out of the hundred calls I've made. And I remember the first calls that I've made, it was like, oh my God, I'm going to be rejected. So your fear of rejection gets triggered over and over again to a point where you realize it's not so bad. I mean, I'm still here. It's very hard to get injured physically through rejection. You can take it personally, 
but you really start realizing it's not about you. And maybe it's wrong time, wrong product, wrong value, wrong targeting, wrong prospect. And that's okay. You know, you, you just, you're basically going towards a, a, you're, you're treasure hunting for someone that matches exactly the product that you want to offer to them. They have the problem that, you know, you solve and you're looking for them. And you know, the better you can do your targeting, the more you'll be able to find the right person, but you're still going to take chances. And then in doing such, that's why I talk about having love for the self, because you will be faced with that rejection. You'll be building resilience in the process. And a lot of the salespeople, what you need to do is build a lot of self practices that keep you in a heightened state. You know, it's hard to be loving all the time, especially in the face of a lot of rejection. So you need to build a huge heart. And so it's like, okay, maybe this person, you know, I didn't reach. I, I tried calling the last five numbers. Nobody picked up. The sixth one's going to be magic. Oh, they didn't pick up neither. The seventh one, keep going, keep going, keep going. So this persistence, this continuation, this is, this is powerful things. And when you end a day and you've made a win or two, and you're like, wow, those are the differences I wanted to make in people's lives. And I've done it. You have to celebrate yourself. So in the whole section that I speak about, you know, love the self is what are the practices you have to put yourself in the right mind? How do you make sure to remind yourself that you're doing your best every day, regardless of the response that you're getting, you're doing your best. And can you get better? Of course. But the best you did today is the best of today. The best of tomorrow might be better. Doesn't make today worse. And so I really want to stretch for people that if you're getting in sales, yeah, it's a very raw sport with a lot of rejection, a lot of failure, but oh boy, is there a lot of growth too. Wow, beautiful. It's almost like um, selling is the gym for training your self-love capacity, the self-love muscle. So yeah, take it to the gym, the gym of selling. That's, uh, <laughs> for, for someone who loves doing obstacle course racing, I do Spartan <laughs> races, which are these races that you go through the mud and you're climbing, <laughs> you're all beat up. Yeah. It's by no surprise I'm drawn to a sport like that as a salesperson because you 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 like the challenge. You like the oh, yes. you, it, it, and that that will, you, you talk about somebody who's a natural salesperson is someone that sees a challenge and wants to lean into it. You can train that muscle, but sometimes we're a little predisposed to want to look for it too. And guess what? It leads to some pretty big growth on the other side. Ah, oh, amazing. I mean. I suppose if it would be easy, everybody would be doing it, right? This takes me to what, what you just said about having a, a natural instinct for selling versus not. And it kind of takes us into um, the point from earlier, selling as writers or artists. How can we become better at selling as as people who are naturally introverted we like to go in this little cave and stay there and you know delve into the depths of the soul and then we have to come out and show people what we mean be vulnerable in front of the public and sell a product such as a book that talks about often intangible things uh, they're often not um one, two, three recipes or how to get fit in 20 minutes a day. It's sometimes it's something saying to people, there is nothing more important than who you become. You know, how do I sell that, Jason? Help us out. Okay. Well, I'm going to make a caveat to one thing. Like I know I'm a hyper extroverted person, right? Which 
Um, some people would say, wow, that makes you a natural salesperson, but they actually find that people that are more introverted find themselves a little more successful in the top sales fields. Because it's not about how quick I can talk and string sentences together and make me look good. It's about my capacity to listen, identify, let the other person be be heard, be understood. Those are the things that really help to sell. So that misconception often is there. But I'd also use that parallel, whereas that when I compare to say a creative introverted type, which a lot of people might associate with, especially listen to this call, you know, if I'm on the opposite side, for me, when it came to the selling and the marketing, it was really excited for me. And I had more of a experience doing it. So it was easier for me to get into it. But the process of writing the book, that was a creative endeavor. And it didn't come to me naturally. I had to put together some structures. I had to work through the moments. I had to just write, even though I felt like I had writer's block so many times. I had to put in the work. And I surrounded myself with the right tools that could support me along the way. But I went ahead and I did something that didn't feel so natural to me. And I still did pretty good. Now, luckily, I worked with a company that also made sure that I had a proper editor that made the book turn out amazing. So I was able to get the right people and the right structures around me that ensured that even if I wasn't the best writer in the world, didn't stop me from going out there to write a book and be an author of my work and surrounding myself with people that would make sure that in the places I might be a little weak, there were some people that were verifying it and bringing it to the level that it needed to be. Now I say this because for a lot of people who decide, yeah, I'm not a good salesperson. I just can't do it. There's a bit of a kick in the butt I need to give, which is Mm -hmm. not everything needs to be easy. Not everything needs to be simple and not everything needs to be comfortable. And oftentimes I tell people, if your comfort is more important then the transformation that you provide for the people you sell to, then that's being selfish. And so not selling is a selfish act. When you know what you offer is so much more than what you ask in return, the act of being comfortable is a selfish one. And so I often speak about, you know, how to love the process of selling is to realize that you're not manipulating, you're having empathy by doing the things that speak the language that is necessary for people to understand the value you want to provide to them. Now, when it comes to selling art, right? Um, I find it very fascinating because we all know that art has a lot to do with the details and the packaging, right? Like a piece of art has a lot of details. If I'm talking like a painting or a poem, the way it's structured, there's, there's little things that are put together that really make it magic and they're subtle, but as someone who's attentive and very creative, you can pay attention to the nuances that really differentiate a work of someone that doesn't have much experience to something Mm -hmm. that's truly a work of art. And it would be very different if I would be offering, let's say a book on scribbled paper or a napkin versus a really beautiful book with a nice cover, proper lettering, font design, like the packaging of that is is really important. And I think we could all agree that that actually affects the value. And so selling is nothing more than an extra layer of packaging. And so that's a language we understand. And so to me, to present, to write copy, for example, Mm -hmm. which is the packaging around, it's just like I could give you a gift just open-handed or I could wrap it into a beautiful gift. Well, selling is nothing more than actually using the wrapping of words and stringing them together into a certain structure, presenting it in a way that is beautiful so that Mm -hmm. people understand the value of what you're giving to them. 
And so it becomes really key to look at it from that lens and realize that sales is a creative art. Wow. So that might help a lot of people that might see this <laughs> as a block. That's a, an amazing shift of perception that you brought there, Jason. I think that's really brilliant indeed. Selling, um, seeing selling as a form of art rather than as something outside of it. Literally, it becomes, like you beautifully put it, the art of putting words together in such a way they best represent your product. Amazing. And absolutely what you said just before that, I didn't want to interrupt you because you were in the flow, but um, people strive so much for doing comfortable things and we don't want to get out of our shell. We do want to, to do things that are rather easy than difficult, right? We want to do things that are not pushing us out of our comfort zone. And um, I think that's definitely something that we need to laminate, print, put out, you know, if you don't sell, you are becoming selfish because what you want to put out in the world becomes less important than your own comfort. Wow. I really hope that the listeners take that in for a moment. If you don't sell, you are selfish. You're more worried about your uh, personal rejection than the quality of what you put out into the world. Yeah, that's beautifully, beautifully put. <laughs> Thank you for that. And indeed, I find that um, with books in particular, as we're talking about you writing a book and books in general, Although we say don't judge a book by the cover, you know, this is again another preconception that don't judge a book by the cover, but you do judge a book by the cover, don't we, Jason? We do. We 100%. do. 100%. Of course we do. You can't go against your biological programming. Like, it, <laughs> you know, it's don't judge a book by its cover. Um, we naturally do. And unfortunately, if you don't feel like the contents of your book isn't worthy of a nice cover, then how good is what's inside? When you know that how people think, again, when I think about the process of selling, mm. we are aware that the two things we're competing for right now is attention and trust. And if your cover doesn't grab attention and doesn't convey trust, then Maybe you can get away saying like, yes, see, I was able to sell a couple copies and people really like the insides, even though my cover wasn't great. But how many people have you deprived the possibility of discovering your work because you didn't want to change your perspective? And mm -hmm. this often comes as well when it comes to deciding the price or the value of something, we have to keep in mind what is the market telling you the value of the work that you do. And that's not something you can control as much as you would want. You have to respect what are the laws that are in place, such as the market. And so you can position yourself within that market. Absolutely. But again, you want to make sure you're not going around with a hand tied behind your back. If you know that the cover is going to be judged, then bring out your best cover, honor the packaging of the book that you're putting together. Absolutely. Honor the message, right? Honor, honor that which you put out into the world. This, uh, this makes me think of 
a quote I heard recently, uh, the, who said it escapes me right now, but it was more around the lines of, it is my responsibility to put my good work out into the world. Another thing I find quite common uh, among creatives or authors, it's almost like, oh, you want someone else to kind of discover it or you want someone else to kind of do this aspect, right? But it's when, when you take responsibility for it, like you were describing earlier and learn the the market around it and learn the rules, you're simply taking responsibility for your message being put out there. And I, I for one, I treat it like a baby. I'm, I'm, I'm making a baby and I need to make sure the baby goes to the right school, uh, ends up in the right places, right? This is kind of how I, I, I treated it. But indeed, I, I see so often um, amongst creatives, uh, especially it's like I'm doing the writing, but someone else has to do it. And again, you said this earlier, there's no harm in having people around you to advise you. There's also courage there. I, I feel um, recognize it, your weaker spot. Okay, what what can I be better at? And maybe I can get advice around that, right? Well, yeah. I'm going to say one thing is um, you have to choose very early on who you want to sell to. And as a creative, I, there's two choices you can make here. You can decide that you want to sell your book and we'll use a book, an example as such as what you've done. You have a choice to go and sell your book to the masses. There's so many tools you can use. You can reach them. You can email them. And that's a great way to be able to reach out. Now you try to understand that, that buyer, who are you targeting? Who are you writing for? And you're going to prepare and try to sell the best possible. Maybe you're going to hire some marketing company. And you're going to try to find a sales company or a publicist. And you can find all these things for you to go and sell your book. But you might, you might decide, I really don't want to do the selling part of my book. And so now you might choose not to sell it directly, but your buyer is no longer the end buyer, but it would be a publishing house is your buyer. That's a different buyer, which means you would package your book differently. And so the question is, would you be open if you don't want to sell directly to go and sell the rights to your book to a publishing house who will make sure to either provide you with an advance, which means you could get all the right resources to help push the book, or they might be going to be doing a lot of that work themselves. But oftentimes, are, are we feeling that our work is not worthy mm. of being sold to the big leagues? Now, that's a question you have to ask yourself, and it comes back to that self-love aspect. Because oftentimes we don't go for the big sales because we judge ourselves even before the sale happens. And so we just blame it on sales. I'm just not good at sales. That's why it's not going there. But you have to take a step back and that responsibility that you've mentioned, which is if I had the greatest work ever, Mm -hmm. would I be okay to go present it to the people that would able to understand and distribute my work powerfully in a way that my work deserves. When you start asking these kinds of questions, it will bring up some insecurities, self-doubts, and questioning, which is part of our human experience. Oh. Those who dare to dream big and make <laughs> bold moves get to move bigger mountains than most of us. Ah, oh, love it. Dream big, right? Stop playing small. Playing small doesn't serve the world, right? 
That's right. Absolutely. You do. You do indeed have to have the courage to do that with the publishing business is such a specific one. And I hear there's over 2 million books uh, trying to be published every year. And the competition is indeed very, very high. But even more so that love yourself muscle um, gets even more training if if anything i would i would like to add to that for poetry in 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 particular i know you you wrote um a book about selling so it's um a non-fiction non-fiction book with poetry in particular uh, people get quite discouraged because um you have to have a certain following etc on social media to be accepted by publishing house and you already have to have a certain number of uh, size of email list etc however having said that it doesn't stop you uh, from making contact. Um, I self-published, but I found out the best self-publishing company through an agent that worked with the big houses. So just having that courage to send that message out to that agent gave me this advice that allowed me to put my book all over the world. So it's now in over 15 countries, which I would have never known had I not made that contact or that inquiry. So I would, I would add to that, that even if, you know, even if okay, you don't get a contract with a big publishing house, you will learn so much from just the act of preparing yourself for that, just like just showing up at the table. So no, that's um, really, uh, really beautifully said. Um, I do want to read something um, from your book, um, Jason, something that I scroll through, like I told you, I, I got the Kindle version because I'm one of those impatient buyers. I want instant gratification. Mm -hmm. I wanted the book straight away and also so that I could talk to you about it. And you wrote something here in the conclusion that really uh, stuck with me. You say, as you strive to be a better seller, you automatically become a better buyer. If we want to make the world a better place, being better buyers is important too. And the dollars we spend on the things we want is a vote for what we want to see in the world. I find this so relevant to what's happening right now in the world and to the very anxious situations we all find ourselves in. The questions we need to ask, what am I buying and from whom and whose pockets am I funding i find this particularly relevant although like you say you don't talk too much about this but this is a super important i feel theme uh, what's your experience with this how can we make a better place a world a better place by choosing what we buy it's very easy to be seduced by convenience whenever we buy things and it's that seduction to convenience that maybe make us less critical thinking around the decisions we make every day. And so I, I give this as a call to action in my book to just care a little more. Like the more we decide to care, the more we decide to just be a bit more curious about the little things we do on a continuous basis, just making that 1% shift every day can start altering what are the behaviors that companies are going to have, which are responsive to market forces, which are the decisions that you make every single day. And so you decide to, you know, I give a, a, an example in the conclusion. I, I remember going to a pizza shop here in Bali 
And uh, I'm sitting there and guess what? There's a vegan pizza that's available. Now, 20 years ago, I would have never seen a vegan pizza on a menu. (laughs) But I can imagine 20 years ago, there were some people that had made some choices and strongly believed of the environmental impact that meat consumption and dairy consumption made, the inhumanities of it, they wanted to see a change. So they decided to go into that restaurant and be that annoying vegan person. We all know who that is. Um, Excuse me, is there a vegan option available? And these restaurants going, what the hell is vegan? 20 years ago, that wasn't even a word, right? But people were brave enough and chose to not be comfortable to have Mm -hmm. courageous conversations around educating people on what it is and possibly requesting having one option on the menu or maybe deciding that the problem was so big that they've started their own vegan restaurant. And look now, the options you can have for vegan, keto, gluten-free, non-GMO, all of these different food choices. Yeah, we find sometimes it feels like it's gone overboard, but I actually think it's just a lot of people that now when I go to a restaurant and there's all these indicators being that is it dairy-free, egg-free, all these different things are now being labeled. And that comes from people who said, we demand more transparency. And so- As we go into the world and whenever you're making a purchase and you feel like you're lacking that transparency, are you going to choose comfort or are you going to choose courage for what you feel are changes you would like to see in the world? And Mm -hmm. I've seen apps. I don't know if this one still exists called Bicot, which is an app I remember existed a few years ago, which allowed you to scan any barcode and it would tell you exactly who are the companies that own this product. What are the places that they give money? What do they lobby for the politicians? So you could start talking about the issues you care about and it would highlight the items that would actually align to your values. I think if we start making a lot more purchase decisions this way, we're going to be able to shift that money into the places we want to go see it. And we just realize with the crises that are happening in the world right now, how powerful it is when you start controlling the money flow to what are the things we believe in or not is when we actually see people making changes and decisions. Oh, amazing. It's so refreshing to hear that. And I, I, I feel we all need to be reminded, if anything, of the power we have to make that change. You know, we, I, I find we, we live so much to the government or the state or organization to do this stuff for us, but we forget that we hired these people. They work for us and there is so much power in us just making simple choices or simple actions like you mentioned just check where this product is coming from and say do i want to put my hard-earned money into this business do i want to do this and this is i i feel uh, like you said almost an, an understated but such important aspect of humanity and again it links so much to you know uh, our, our buyer's power, right? Selling and buying, that exchange, that conscious exchange between individuals, between two parties who are aware of what they want to bring into the world. Indeed. Well, Jason, I absolutely loved having you on the show. You've given us so many gems and I can't wait to re-listen this uh, as soon as I, I get the chance. I really appreciate your presence here, being your kind self, but also your very um, aware self and sharing all this wisdom with us is really, really appreciated. I do want 
to uh, give you the opportunity to read to us. We read here on the Poetry Drip podcast, and I know you have a little paragraph. Before you do, I want to ask, how can people contact you? What's the best way people can reach you? What's your preferred way of being in touch with people? Well, I'll, um, I'll say where you can reach me and I can offer a little gift for everybody listening. Mm. Um, good ways to reach me, um, jasonmarkcampbell.com or sellingwithlove.com. You can find my podcast, you can find my book. Um, and I'm also very active on Instagram and LinkedIn. So connect with me there, send me a message. And uh, you can mention that you found me on this podcast. And that's always a nice thing. And uh, with your permission, Paul, I'd love to offer a gift for anybody. Yes, um, please which is if you go to sellingwithlove.com forward slash poetry, um, I'm going to make available for everybody a free meditation, which is actually allowing you to connect with your buyer. And so if oh. you've ever wanted to get into the right state before getting into a sales conversation, it's a beautiful meditation that you can enjoy. And I'll also make sure you get the first chapter of my book, which really walks you through why most people and most of us hate sales. So you can get over some of the blocks that hold us back. Oh, that's brilliant. I cannot wait to share this link with the poetry club. You know, there is a poetry club in my valley and a writer's club as well. And um, they'll be super, super ecstatic to hear about this. Thank you so much, Jason. That's a beautiful gift received with love. Brilliant. Um, and as for the passage, uh, so I'm holding my book in my hands right mm -hmm. now. And uh, what I've decided to do is read the last paragraph of the conclusion. I think that kind of sums up uh, a bit of the ethos and the mission that I stand for. Mm. And um, <clears throat> it goes as such. The world is a beautiful place. With this beauty, there is always the possibility to recognize that things can get better. We can play a part in making that happen. As a role model salesperson who embodies everything in this book, you will be a catalyst for making every energy exchange in the world contain a powerful force of love. You have the power to become more conscious, aware, caring, and aligned with yourself. I'm clicking for you. This is what we do when we hear something very powerful and soulful. Thank you again so much, Jason, for being here. And to all our listeners, I hope you remember to choose courage over comfort and to put love in whatever you're selling to the world. Until next time, take care of your poetic souls.